Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Neil Garfield Show, a presentation sponsored by the Living Lies blog, GTC Honors, LendingLies.com, and The Garfield Firm. Servicing all 50 states and 24 countries with news and analysis about the largest economic crime in human history. This program is for general information only and should not be used as a substitute for legal advice or consultation with a licensed professional. This show is not intended as a solicitation for the engagement of any services. And now, presenting world-renowned author, trial lawyer, CLE lecturer, and court-approved expert witness on securitization of debt, Neil Garfield. What accounts for the difference between winning and losing? What's the difference between pleading and proving? Hi, this is Neil Garfield, and this is Thursday, August 19th, 2021, and I'm broadcasting live from Duval County, Florida. First, some housekeeping notes. Some people have asked me to do a show or seminar on the technology that I use in connection with this mission and business of foreclosure defense. I'm willing to do that if there's real interest for attending a law practice seminar that reviews the uses and advantages of each technology platform and device that I use. The cost would be $195. It would be one hour and will qualify for one CLE for Florida lawyers and reciprocally in 26 other jurisdictions. Homeowners, of course, are welcome to attend if they want. Um, send an email to Neil F. Garfield, remember the F, Neil F. as in Franklin Garfield, at hotmail.com if you're really interested in me doing that. I'll take a look and see what the response is, and I'll schedule accordingly. And in response to high demand for a new series of substantive law practice seminars, I'm launching the renewal of the Garfield Continuum series that started in September of 2008. Partnering up with the American Property Owners Network, GTC Honors, Inc., the parent of livinglies.me and lendinglies.com, is hosting a two-hour CLE seminars at the intermediate level uh, at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time, Wednesday, September 22nd, 2021. The title of the seminar is Examination and Challenges to Assignments of Mortgage. The PowerPoint presentation course materials will be sent to participants probably after the presentation. Details for signing up will be announced on the blog. It'll be conducted on Zoom and recorded for on-demand presentation as well as the live presentation. Homeowners are welcome to attend, but only lawyers will be allowed to ask questions. CLE credit uh, is expected for two hours of instruction, so that'll be two CLE credits and will be available for all Florida lawyers, and reciprocal credit will be maybe claimed in Washington, D.C., and approximately 26 other states. GTC will contribute a portion of the receipts to the American Property Owners Network, APON, 
And by the way, APON is not an extension of Neil Garfield. I did suggest it, but the organization, the formation, the operations are completely independent of me. Uh, there is a political solution to the issues that we face, and there are legal solutions to individual cases. APON focuses more on collective political action and petitions, whereas I focus on winning individual cases. People think that going to court is winning a point and finding vindication in the judgment of the court. But lawyers know that going to court is all about keeping control of the narrative by kneecapping their opposition. People don't like that aspect of litigation, but that's what litigation is. It's not a morality play. Slice and dice is the heart of litigation, and that is part of the reason why lawyers have a bad reputation. People say lawyers don't care about the truth. Lawyers only care about winning. And the lawyers who only care about winning are primarily the lawyers who win. Truth seems to come in second. Doesn't actually work that way. It is the adversarial process that produces the truth. So it should come as no surprise when people feel railroaded because they know or understand that the opposition really has no case against them. But they still lose. I think it's because they lost sight of the real prize, just winning. Not vindication, not judgment that puts the opposing lawyer and client in jail, just winning. Winning is all about what lawyers call the prima facie case, which needs to be the subject of pleading or else there is no case, and proof without which there is no judgment. But only lawyers understand the true nature of a prima facie case. It is only the case that has been pleaded in allegations of a well-pleaded complaint that assert a short, plain statement of ultimate facts upon which relief could be granted. Notice the word is, is could and not would or will or shall. It is could because without proof, the prima facie case fails and judgment is entered for the homeowner. So the object of the foreclosure defense lawyer is either to defeat the pleading or defeat the proof. And that's what you want, right? So the goal of every foreclosure defense attorney is to interfere with the ability of the foreclosure mill to plead or put on a case. If you don't succeed at decapping your opposition, you're most likely bound to lose. But I'm not talking about quick fixes or magic bullets. Those are strategies designed to make your money somebody else's money. I'm saying that anyone can make an accusation or state a claim. 
I can file suit against a supermarket for slip and fall. But if it didn't happen to me, or it didn't happen at all, then my claim will fail. But only if it is challenged. So my false claim will succeed if it is not challenged. And if I file suit under an assumed name without identifying myself, the claim fails before it even gets litigated. But again, if there is no challenge, then the assumed name gets the judgment. And it is presumptively correct, valid, authentic, and true. And the bottom line of what I am promoting on this show and in my extensive writing and appearances is that if you're not willing to assume that the case will fail if challenged, then you're not going to win. You have to proceed on the assumption that the case will fold if you present a timely and proper challenge to the pleading and then to the proof. The converse is also true, as as has been proven by the track record of dozens of lawyers and thousands of homeowners, perhaps tens of thousands, contesting the basic elements of the case against them. That's what produces victory or a satisfactory settlement. I always encourage homeowners and their lawyers to serve statutory questions, that means qualified written requests, debt validation letters, et cetera, on the company claiming to be creditor or agent or servicer. I do this not because I expect answers to long-sought questions, but because I don't expect answers, and I intend to use their unresponsiveness against them. That part is the most problematic for pro se litigants, and even for many lawyers. You won't get any answers if you direct your questions to evidence of payment for the underlying obligation, ownership of the debt, note, mortgage, or authority from a legally recognizable creditor. I encourage that because it opens the door for actions under the FDCPA, affirmative defenses, counterclaims, all that stuff claiming damages, offset, attorney's fees, and so forth. Remember that a claim could be brought in a judicial state as an affirmative defense, not necessarily a counterclaim, under the FDCPA, even if the statute of limitations is run. Your only limitation in that, that that would be an action in recoupment, your only limitation would be the amount demanded by the other side. So you could offset, theoretically, depending upon how how much damages you are awarded, and there are statutory damages that automatically apply, although the Supreme Court of the United States is now taking some sort of an issue with that. Whatever damages you're awarded under the FDCPA claim would offset the amount that the 
foreclosure mill is saying you owe and would reduce the judgment accordingly, which would affect your redemption rights and so forth. That's important because DCPA actions are very rarely dismissed. And those lawsuits lead to enforceable discovery, which in turn produces offers of settlement. Why? Because they can't answer your discovery. They're not going, there's no truthful answer they can give and no real document they can give showing, in a case at least where there's a remit trust involved, showing that the named claimant is a creditor who has paid value uh, as required as a condition precedent under Article 9, Section 203 of the Uniform Commercial Code, which is adopted verbatim in all U.S. jurisdictions. My frequent suggestion, if you get offers of settlement, is that you wait for the third final offer before engaging in negotiations. The first offer, that's going to be something that involves no money or very little money and a modification which basically creates a valid loan contract when, it, when in fact they don't even have one. The second offer will be some minor concession to the homeowner. The third offer might be a more meaningful concession and could start negotiation. So in legal terms, what I'm talking about is, again, the prima facie case. Prima facie case is the accusation that the homeowner has, caused, has illegally caused the financial loss to the party on whose behalf the claim is filed. But we all know that whenever the claimant is a bank trustee on behalf of a remic trust, there is no loss suffered by the named claimant. But you don't need to prove that. So all those questions that I get every day, how do I prove that? The answer is you don't. You merely interfere, kneecap, the other side in putting on their case. And the way you do that is through the legal discovery process where responses are mandatory. They are not voluntary. They are not uh, something that can be used theoretically to simply advance a false claim. If somebody says that uh, is relying on an assignment of mortgage, subject of the seminar, um, that says for value received, you're entitled to ask what value was received. And if it says $1 and out of valuable consideration, well, think about it. If $1 is all the cash that was paid, what's the other valuable consideration? You're entitled to know. You only need to reveal the absence of any evidence that corroborates the implication that some financial loss exists. 
if you try to prove the absence of a loss, then you are trying to prove a negative, which is famously nearly impossible. Instead, you're asserting there is no loss. Instead of asserting that there is no loss, you're only required to ask for corroborating evidence of loss. When they can't produce the corroborating evidence and all they've got is a presumption, they're no longer entitled to the presumption and they don't have a case because they have neither the presumption nor the corroborating evidence. And that's what's really happening in foreclosure today. When your home is, so, is sold at auction as a result of a foreclosure that was allowed to proceed, the money is not going to anyone who maintains a loan account receivable, and the receipt of that money is not recorded as a deduction from a loan account receivable because a loan account receivable doesn't exist, and that means the creditor doesn't exist. What we're dealing with in today's world is a virtual creditor, which is not allowed by Article 9, Section 203 of the UCC, and not allowed by common law. It's one thing to say or claim or imply that there is a loss. It's quite another to prove it. Now, the impediment to homeowners pressing this issue is clearly that they think there is a loss because they're not investment bankers and they don't understand how there could be anything but a loss if they haven't made a payment. They don't see that the payments that they made were made to a party who had no right to receive them and on a debt that no longer existed. It was retired during the process of what they called securitization. Securitization means the issuance of securities, but the securitization of debt has to be, by definition, the sale of the debt to multiple investors. That never happens. That loss the, the way they make their money is by selling multiple layers of securities that far exceed in dollar amount anything that was transacted with the homeowner. That's how they're able to retire the loan account receivable because they all got paid. So that loss must legally fall on the claimant or there is no claim. So if I see a slip and fall and I sue, I'll be thrown out of court, not because there was no slip and fall and not because someone didn't break their leg, but because it didn't happen to me. That's all you need to know. But I will not be thrown out of court and I will not, and I will even get a hefty judgment if the supermarket does not challenge my claim. Once the judgment is entered, it then carries a legal presumption of being entirely correct from one end to the other. So, moral of the story is, interfere 
with the entry of that judgment in any way you can. And the best way of doing that is by pursuing enforcement of discovery through motions to compel, motions for sanctions. Notice I'm using the plural. You're going to have to do it over and over again before the judge finally relents. And motions in limine, which is to exclude evidence of the debt, the so-called debt, uh, or the right to enforce it because of the violation of the discovery rules and the violation of the orders compelling the response to discovery. Remember that discovery is not the same as the QWR and DVL. Discovery occurs only during a court action as part of that court action. The DVL and QWR is stuff that can, well, best be done before there's any court action, but it can be done at any time. So when they don't give you an answer, then you have the ammunition to ram their refusal to answer down the throat of the foreclosure mill attorney. And that's true even if the debt exists, even if someone owns it, and even if someone suffered a loss due to a scheduled payment by the homeowner. Let me repeat that because it's key to understanding this process and it's key to winning. Even if there is a debt, which I'm telling you there isn't, and even if somebody owns it, which I'm telling you there isn't, and even if somebody suffered a loss, a financial loss, as a result of the homeowner not making a scheduled payment, you can and should win if they can't corroborate that the debt exists with real evidence, hard evidence, that's a ledger, an accounting ledger, which will show who owns it, and it will show the loss that accrues as a result of the skipped payment that they're claiming. In fact, the named claimant is usually described as a bank trustee on behalf of some name that is only assumed to be a trust but which is never defined or described as a trust that was organized and existing in any U.S. jurisdiction. And that, for the lawyers listening, spells motion to dismiss or motion for more definite statement. So if it's U.S. Bank on behalf of XYZ Trust, Unless the body of the complaint describes the trust as being a legal person organized under the laws of some U.S. jurisdiction and currently operating under the laws of some U.S. jurisdiction, doesn't have to be the same, unless it says that, then the trust has not been identified, and when U.S. Bank is described as as trustee and not on its individual behalf, what have you got? You've got nothing. 
You've got no plaintiff. You've got no claimant. And that's where the attack begins. Prima facie means first on its face. That's what it, it literally means. So if the allegations establish the existence of a claimant with an unpaid loan account receivable, a breach of the promise to make scheduled payments and the right of the plaintiff to receive those payments and the right to enforce the receipt of those payments by forcing the sale of the property, the prima facie case is established. All that means is that the accusation has been made but not yet proven. In most cases, if you analyze the complaint carefully, the style of the case, the exhibits, the allegations in the complaint, you will find things that are absent and subject to attack, absent by reference to what used to be the elements of pleading. Remember that in non-judicial foreclosures, the legal complaint allegations are only implied, but the assertions are stated in plain sight on the fabricated documents of assignment, the notice of substitution of trustee, and the notice of default, the notice of sale, etc. Take the notice of substitution of trustee. That's something that a few lawyers are picking up on now. That is the beginning of the foreclosure process. It is filed to establish a non-party who is not a creditor and who doesn't exist as the claimant owning a claim that doesn't exist. The surest way to to snatch defeat from what might have been the joys of victory is to tell a judge that you had defenses, but you now wish to assert them in an ongoing legal process. It doesn't work that way. That's not how the system works. If you've got defenses, you need to raise them right away, not wait. The judge is constrained to say no, based upon the rules of court, and his or her own pressures from crowded dockets, etc. If you want a defense to be taken seriously, or at least in which the judge feels forced to hear it out, you must start early rather than complaining later. While it is possible to break the case at trial on cross-examination of the robo-witness, I have done that a few times, it is mostly too late unless you have laid some groundwork for introducing your defense narrative. So the bad guys win. So the first step in winning is to anchor your defense narrative at the earliest possible time. In both judicial and non-judicial states, that process starts informally as soon as you're awakened to the fact that the company claiming to be a servicer has never produced any direct acknowledgments or authority showing the identity of a creditor who has paid value for the underlying obligation as required by Article 9, Section 203 of the UCC. And remember, that's law. That's not opinion. That's not theory. Article 9, Section 203 says you may not enforce a security instrument unless you've paid value for the underlying obligation. I can say I'm the bookkeeper, 
for American Express. It's a lie, and I might go to jail for it. But if I only say that I'm a bookkeeper for this debt, then the sharpest lawyer will say, wait a minute, you haven't said who appointed you to be the bookkeeper and whether they own the loan account receivable. In non-judicial states, the homeowner should challenge the first thing recorded that asserts anyone as the legally authorized servicer, power of attorney, or creditor. Don't believe one word of it. Don't assume. Don't admit tacitly or directly. If you refer to it as a loan, then everybody is in agreement that it is a loan, there is a debt, and somebody's got to own it, and the one that's asserting it is the one that probably owns it. So there are several attacks um, that'll be the subject of, of further uh, shows and seminars. But the important thing is to get clear on the fact that the claim against you may be real, may not be real, but you can beat it. That's it for tonight. Thanks for joining me. See you next week. The opinions expressed on The Neil Garfield Show are those of its hosts and should not be ascribed to any other persons or entities. For more information about Neil, the blog, or upcoming seminars, please visit livinglies.me. Give us a call at 954-451-1230 or send an email to n-e-i-l-f-g-a-r-f-i-e-l-d at hotmail.com. Thank you for listening to The Neil Garfield Show. If the information has helped you, consider making a donation by visiting livinglies.me. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.